Packet capture and analysis tools are lovely, lovely things. Capturing the real data on your network lets you peer into the true soul of your network. It's the sword of absolute truth that dismisses all dreams and fantasies and removes the veil that sits between the application and the network. Understanding the mystical magic requires a magic wand that enables spell casting like, why is the app slow? Or, I can't see inside the souls of those encrypted packets. And But I, I need to know exactly what they really want. Uh, fortunately, there is new magic in the machine learnings. It's everywhere these days. But if there's one area where machine learnings can be very useful, surely it is packet analysis. That brings us to ExtraHop, the subject of today's sponsored show. ExtraHop, as you well know, is a protocol decoder, packet analysis engine, threshold management system, alerting tool, flow record collector, and application health dashboard all in one. Now, we've spoken with them before. We've had a couple of shows with ExtraHop over the years, and today we are returning with news of product updates and new features, and you're going to hear a lot of discussion around the ExtraHop Addy machine learning functionality. Today, we are joined by Isaac Roybal, Director of Product Marketing, and Matt Cawthorn, who's the VP of Security. But let's get straight into the content of the show. Isaac, tell us a little bit about ExtraHop 7.0. This is a major advance forward in the ExtraHop software. What's new? What's what's happening there? Yeah, well, thank you very much for uh, for introducing us and, and having us. And yes, definitely, uh, 7.0 is is our lucky seven, if you will. It's our latest and greatest uh, release of uh, of the ExtraHop platform. Um, we've been quite on a, quite a journey over the last uh, couple of years here in order to you know deliver this empirical source of truth for the enterprise is what we call it, right? So many of us here at ExtraHop um, are former IT people ourselves, and and really trying to hunt and peck for some of the the truthful information to help us do our job was always a challenge. So we wanted to solve that. And with 7.0, we really are delivering some insight. Um, you know, we're really taking uh, analytics to the next level to, to give folks the insight and the truth they need to be able to deliver contextual information about what's happening, as you mentioned in your preamble there, about the application, about the network, um, or even from a security context, right? Most of us end up on the blame game side of that by saying, hey, the network's slow, or the application isn't working, or what's up with the internet? Well, now with 7.0, we're delivering 360 degree analysis to be able to help pinpoint those issues in uh, in a matter of uh, of uh, clicks and not hours like it used to be. So, so Isaac, I just gotta gotta jump in here. A lot of people hear about a software upgrade and go, "Yeah, it's a new version. Who cares?" But you're making this sound like this is actually, from an extra hot perspective, a big deal, a very significant release. Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair. Um, so, you know, when we look at um, our major releases, our .dot o releases, we certainly want to pack it full of of some major releases. But again, as as many of us have been there on the other side of that uh, of uh, fence of you know being an IT practitioner and, and saying, oh great, here comes another upgrade I have to deal with. You know, we're very focused on the fact that these are impactful features and uh, type of technologies that are actually going to make life easier. Right. So this is a big one for us because the fact of of putting context into data is really the next big evolution when you think about analytics out there. Everybody's been talking about big data for uh, you know, a number of years. In fact, some of the companies I've, at, I've been at previous to ExtraHop were big data focused. But now we've come to a point where it's not, I don't need more big data. I just need big insight, right? Just give me the answers. Just give me the easy button so I can just do my job, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't need big yeah. data. We need big insight. Yeah, Never that's true. <laughs> big yeah. data is a problem because building lakes, you know, Data has gravity, and building vast amounts of data isn't actually the goal of the game. The goal of building big data is to get something out of it. And I, I sometimes think people get lost in that. They say, oh, you know, I need to capture every single packet so I can replay them at some point in the future. 
but you never ever do. You really need to be able to have that real-time analytics capability like this is not right, this certificate isn't valid, or you know, this encrypted stream is coming from somewhere that it shouldn't be coming from. That's the sort of stuff that we need. That's exactly right. So, you know, let's take a, a look at packet capture for a second, right? And so, you know, again, I, I started my career on that side and, you know, really the, the old adage of packets don't lie, which is which is still true. And that's where we believe the empirical source of truth really comes from the network, right? Because it is observed data. It's not self-reported um, or anything like that. It's something that we see. But when you take a packet and you capture a packet, does that packet give you anything by itself? No, you have to dig in, you have to reassemble those packets uh, together, reorder them, and then extract the metrics out of them, the information out of them. So it's not necessarily trying to capture every single packet out there on the wire. You just want the data, you just want the metrics, you just want the analysis to come out of there, which are, at the end of the day, the answers, and you just want the truth to be able to do your job. Which isn't to say that you guys don't pull every packet off the wire. It's just that rather than dumping a bunch of data for some human to analyze, you're you're pulling it all together and giving them that uh, that summary, those actionable items that they can do something with rather than trying to figure it out for themselves, what the data all means. One way to think about it is, you know, we flipped the traditional packet capture model on its head and we do the analysis first and the packets last. So we do the analysis streaming in real time, in memory, L2 all the way up to L7. We know what the transaction boundaries look like. Even if it's encrypted, we can decrypt it. Even if it's you know, in an SSL tunnel, an HTTP tunnel, we can decrypt, unpack that, and statefully sort of reassemble the, the entirety of the byte stream. And what that gives you is then it gives you the insights with minimal friction. Right? We can surface you know, relative counts. So... Greg, going back to your example, we know mm. the cipher strength of the SSL certificate that was negotiated, and we know how long it took for that to be negotiated, which often presents as a network slowdown, and the knock might, in fact, get a call for that. But it has nothing to do with that. The, the, the key exchange took too long. And so it's that kind of context that we're able to surface proactively in real time, but you're always, you've always got the packets to fall back to. So we have a, a record... A, a buffer of the packets that were replayed statefully and we point back to them. So you can surgically extract out of, you know, millions and millions of packets, many more tens of millions. You can surgically extract the packets for just a, re a replayed flow. So you can start at L7 and get to your packets. So if it's a VDI session and the logon took too long, Isaac's logon took too long, you start there. Let's look at Isaac. Let's look at which application was invoked in, say, Citrix World for a published app. And then let's see the packets that were replayed, if you need them. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. you don't, frankly. No, if you've got the analysis and you've got a stat, uh, uh, you know, and of course, ExtraHop needs to make it right. You need to give me meaningful information. Then I don't actually need to go and decode the packets by hand, which, you know, honestly, is a hell of a lot of work. Um, yes, as, too much you know, latency involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as somebody who spent many years decoding packets, um, there's a certain amount of frustration because you have to go off and learn, you know, the FTP protocol or the HTTP protocol, and you have to understand the verbs and the command languages. And that's not something that, you know, an afternoon is going to solve. It's years and years of built up experience. And, and quite honestly, that's not valuable to the business in and of itself. So your employer doesn't employ you because of your ability to understand arcane protocol mechanics. What it employs you to do is to make the network work so that people can get what they need done. 
Um, and so relying on tools like this accelerate you or, as I often call it, amplification. They amplify your ability to be useful to the company. And that's really what your work is. And that's why tools like ExtraHop are pretty valuable. So I, I got to jump jump in on that. Um, yep. What we seek to do at the end of the day to net it all out is to inform decisions with data, op, IT operational, whether that's SecOps, NetOps, whatever. You know, we, we want to inform decisions with data back, you know, I too came from operations world like Isaac did back, you know, a lifetime ago. And we won awards, we, you know, with Frost and Sullivan Innovation Award. We're very proud of that. But looking back, I can tell you that we made low quality decisions. And here's why I say that. We, we were good enough and right enough, enough of the time to do our jobs and get promoted and all that. But our decisions were steeped in trial by fire in the school of hard knocks, brutally hard knocks, in fact, in many cases. And so we were always at risk of losing one key stakeholder. You know, they get a better opportunity somewhere else in, in the domain experience and mm. the, the quality of their decisions goes with them. And by informing those decisions with empirical evidence that's observed from the wire, from, you know, L2 all the way into the transactions that are delivered themselves, you're sort of goosing the operational practice at large, frankly. You're, you're, you're stacking the deck in the favor of the IT operations teams as opposed to the other way around. We're trying to reverse the polarity of this affliction. Hmm. Now, you guys have taken gone beyond just a, a localized view of your data and your packets and your wire data and then move this into the realm of machine learning where you can take a larger data set in aggregate and then in the cloud do some munging and gain further insights and your you call this Addy ADDY is the machine learning technology here so talk to us about Addy what is Addy uh, adding if you will to extra hop analysis that the localized platform uh, doesn't have yeah, that, that, that's a great question, and, and I'll, I'll jump on that one and then pass it over to Matt here in a moment. But, uh, you know, Addy is really a, a huge step for us because as we started talking about, you know, the network and, and the kind of setup here in the beginning of the conversation, you know, that that is the common denominator, as we all know, right? There's been a, a really interesting swing when you kind of think about the technology overall. In the very early days, when at least when I started my career, you know, the network was everything. Any kind of certification test you had, there was a TCP IP component of it uh, to be able to claim that you were a certified systems engineer, right? And so you had to be this jack of all trades and kind of understand everything that was happening and transpiring on the network. Um, I'll bet back then there was a lot of, uh, there was smaller amounts of data that we could all consume from a human perspective. Well, now, you know, then we kind of went into the the silos of, of specific disciplines, right? I'm a DBA, I'm, an, I'm a network engineer, I'm an application developer, I'm a, you know, I'm a systems engineer. But now we've come into this systems world where everything is interconnected, where you have on-prem, off-prem, um, and, and all of these services in between, and the amount of data has just exploded. So there's no way a human could actually consume all of that information analyze it, and then uh, get to the end result. So therefore, we need to automate that, um, A, the, the uh, acquisition of that data. So that's where we're doing it with our real-time stream processing. But then B, the analysis needs to be automated as well. There's, there's just a problem here that humans can't solve or don't even have the amount of hours to stay awake every day to be able to solve that. And hence, that's where Addy comes in and the machine learning capability of that. So we're able to take this 
heavyweight, low-value data in network packets, reassemble it, and turn it into lightweight, portable data, which is what we call wire data. And then we're able to pipe that up to the cloud. And we're able to do the feature extraction within that data, or that's machine learning parlance for basically taking the, the data out of there, and then ship that up to the cloud, and then perform analysis on that, and then tell you when something is is looking suspicious, or you know there is an operations uh, issue, there's a spike in performance here, or there's something going on over there. So Addy has actually helped Helping our customers answer questions they didn't even know they had to ask, or it's actually pointing out hot spots in their environment that they didn't even know existed. Right? So Most okay. of these folks. Yep. Go ahead. Let's zoom in on on this just a little bit. Uh, Addy then is smart enough to as you pump all that data up there. And, and again, it sounds like you're not pumping everything up. It sounds like more like a, a set of metadata that's actually going into the cloud. Yes, that's a fair way to say it. We're taking uh, metadata and, and a specific number of metrics, and then we're yep. shipping that up there. Yep. Okay, so I, you just said something key there to me, a specific number of metrics. So do I, as the extra hop customer, have to decide what I'm sending up to Addy, or is it, if it's a service I'm taking part in, it just sends up a, the specific metrics, whatever they are, and you, you let Addy do the rest? It's the latter. You're exactly okay. right. So you don't have to pick and choose. We we automate all of that. Here's the set of metrics we'll send up. We'll perform some machine learning and some analysis on top of that. And then we'll pipe down and let you know if anything looks strange. And you said another thing that caught my attention, telling me about problems I didn't know I have. So that's interesting to me because I know from a network engineering perspective, I might be very interested in performance. Okay, this uh, you know, TCP sliding windows and uh, whether or not there's a delay that's actually related to something at uh, layer 7, an application problem like uh, TLS certificate negotiation or DNS lookup, that kind of thing. But then there's other stuff I might not really be thinking about that might be outside the bounds of what I would consider normal network engineer frame of thought. And as I was digging through on Addy, but getting ready for the show, I noticed there's a security application here, for example. Absolutely. Yeah, so so one of the interesting things about the Addy service for us is, you know, one way to think about extra hop, and we're certainly more than this, but one way to think about us, and I'll use Isaac's term here, which I think is, by the way, pretty industry standard in in. ML world, you know, is that we are one of the most powerful feature extraction engines on the planet. And the reason why I say that is because we are the beneficiaries of the network in the context of the network itself and the behaviors that manifest there. And it stands to reason as the beneficiary of wire data and all of the, the data in flight that we statefully reassemble, we, re- we extract the features, metadata, and then feed that into our machine learning that there's a ton of security relevance there, right? And it it really comes down to understanding the assets, the catalog of assets and the behaviors on the wire itself, whether you're a network operations team or a security operations team or investigation team, Addy has all of that information and she can do her thing. And yes, I'm Assigning. Uh, <laughs> I just I just found out Addy's a, a girl. Good to know. Okay. Yeah, I just found out that's you can right. anthropomorphize a machine learning algorithm. I think that's fantastic. That's right. I mean, that's a real step forward in uh, well, in all network. All kids are doing it these days. Right? Everyone's got it. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to my intro where I called it magic. So let's give it a name. Why not? <laughs> so that's right. So Addy does her thing, and so now she can say, you know, this particular application server where we normally see HTTP requests being served. 
is actually now acting as an SSH client. And moreover, it's an SSH client to the adjacent peers on the subnet. And we can see that Ad, the Addy says that this, this particular host in your environment, which is normally a server, is now acting as an SSH client, and it's enumerating the IP addresses next to it. I think that you should look at that. Mm-hmm. You can click on the anomaly, then it takes you right into the extra hop that's running local to you in your environment, not ours, yours, and it, for the specific time period and the specific protocol. So it's not just taking you to the device, the asset. We're taking you to the server looking at the SSH client activity. So it's a very, very powerful model, again, with the idea of just radically accelerating these traditional operations workflows. Now, Matt, you just gave a very specific example there. So to, to help uh, people understand where the machine learning comes in versus like just raw statistical analysis and finding uh, differences from baseline that are significant, uh, does Addy know just the specific uh, examples that have been uh, programmed into her, if you will, man, I've, I got the gender thing going now. There you go. Uh, <laughs> or it, does Addy just look at all all the data sets? And again, even Addy doesn't know what Addy doesn't know, but the algorithm is such that it will highlight things that seem significant, no matter what they are. So I'll give you an example, uh, and it relates to this SSH where we we were giving a, a pretty, you know, we were given a big demo recently. Uh, and we had a lab environment set up, and we were actually forcing anomalies with Addy. And so on day one, we forced an anomaly, and it was it was actually lateral movement, and it was a security use case. It could have been performance or TCP retransmission timeouts or whatever, but in this case, it was it was SSH, uh, lateral movement. And so we we as engineers, there was like eight of us, you guys, the collective experience that we had leveled against this lab environment to, to fool Addy into throwing an anomaly. And in fact, we got the anomaly to throw. We, we high-fived, went and had some bourbon, celebrated. Two days passed and our anomalies disappeared. And I thought that the lab environment was down, but it wasn't. She, she had figured out our, our tactics. And she said, no, 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 this pattern of behavior is actually normal based on this, this, and this data set, and it, she converged on what the expected behaviors were based on the new normal. And so huh. th- that was a really poignant moment for me because I, it, it, it really shined a light on what you're saying, Ethan, which to me is it's more than just simplistic linear regression or best fit models in a statistical sense. It's more about Layered, we do image processing, it's unsupervised machine learning, and there's, there's many, many, many heuristics that are overlaid into specific metrics that are sent up. Not just any metric, it's actually specific ones of the mm. most consequence, right? That, that give you the big sort of false multiplier, force multiplier of ML. Well, it's almost like you sent, you ended up, in effect, sending her a learning set, uh, and then she decided that that was normal data over time. Once she learned enough, it just began to look familiar and like, this is, this is the way things are supposed to be. So she kind of learns that, yeah. And so now if you think about things, and I, I think back to the customers that I've been sort of serving for the last 15 years in the field in my prior life in IT ops, and I think back on how many times, and I would actually ask you and your listeners, right? How many times have you heard, well, what has changed? Is this different or is this the same? Because it's, an, it's this sort of n-dimensional problem in IT ops, right? You've got this, this, this explosion of devices, physical, virtual. Now the network itself is largely virtualized. And so there's this non-determinism that's run rampant. 
And, and having your finger on the pulse of the actual behaviors that present on the network itself becomes incredibly, incredibly powerful. And Addy is the sort of PhD level overlay for the price of a, you know, like a, a, a gosh, a, a temp worker, really, <laughs> that's always on the clock working on behalf of the, of the customers in IT ops to answer that very question. It's like, no, 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 this is in fact normal. You because, just said something else interesting there, Matt. You said in IT ops, as in the data that comes out of Addy and the analysis therein isn't useful just for network engineering, but really for IT operations broadly. Absolutely. And 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 by the way, I'm, thank you for saying that. I want to make it really, really clear, and I'm going to sort of speak for myself here, not necessarily my company, but the way I see it, why, I don't understand these artificial boundaries in IT operations world. Like, why wouldn't the database administrator, for example, be curious to know how the network as an asset is delivering the database's transactions? And likewise, why wouldn't the network administrators in the world or the security operations center want to understand how well the database transactions were taking advantage or the database systems were taking advantage of the network as an asset? You know, if you, and I'm going to riff here for a second and I'll apologize in advance, but just bear with me. If you think of the OSI stack, right, it's this, it's this sort of binding contract from the application level down to the OS, down to the network and back again across the wire, back up and down forevermore. And the reason why OSI works is because the behaviors from one level of the stack to the next are very, very sort of binding and well understood. Everybody agrees on how things are going to work in an organization, turn that model on its side and blast it out horizontally, and then put coordination barriers between all of these operational silos. And things get broken really, really fast just because of the disproportionate coordination cost in enterprise IT. And so the way out, in my opinion, and, and I think I can speak on behalf of the company here, the way out from under that to reverse the polarity of that particular affliction is to Stripe an empirical set of data that's actionable by all across all of those organizational groups, those operational groups, because they can be and should be the beneficiaries of that data. It just, for me, it's, I, I really struggle when I'm in an organization like, oh, well, that's the so-and-so team. They're not going to care about this. Really? Have we asked them that? Because what we've found is that they kind of do. They just haven't had the means to, be, to, be, to, to get to the information. And, and so, information yeah. is, so many of these groups are so siloed, uh, managers can get territorial, uh, but when you, 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 you break all of that down and you move away from that territorialism and begin working together, folks find that, ah, we are, in fact, uh, better together. Yeah, and and it, it, I guess that speaks in some regard to just how some uh, IT groups are organized and the weaknesses of that. Uh, would you, what would you call it? Traditional or legacy style of organization, bring them together. Well, it reflects the way things were. I mean, when I first started in IT, I did everything, whatever it was. Worked on servers, worked on the network, uh, crimped cables one day, and uh, worked on the tape library the next day. And we weren't all separate. We were a team of people that happened to work on everything together with whatever our specialties and expertises happened to be. And we're kind of getting back to that these days. I completely agree. Well, yeah, I as think, do I, I, yeah. I, yeah, it's always about the f the more tools you can put in the hands of the front line, the more the front line can achieve without escalation. And that ultimately is, is synonymous with automation. The, f the better you can make your automation, the better the first line support can, you know, click a button, is that port enabled? Yes, it's enabled. Or click a button, is that person connected to the network? If you can search for their name and find their MAC address, then 
you suddenly removed a whole bunch of what was otherwise quite tedious level two, level three work. And so putting tools in the hands of the first line that are workable and usable has always been valuable. That's not new. You know, you're spot on, Greg. And if I, if I could just add on a quick little metric on top of that, you know, when you think about the war room, you know, a bunch of folks get together and they all chat, mostly argue. Uh, to be quite frank, right, about the problem and who's to blame and all the finger pointing and, well, my data says this and my data says that. And then the term latency gets thrown out a lot, right? Well, what's the latency of the network? What's the latency of the database query? What's the latency here, there, there, et cetera? But there's one metric that they don't ever talk about. What's the human latency? What's the human latency involved with the blame game of, well, my data says this, your data says that, and let's blame each other. When you really get down to the root cause and finding the problem, of an issue, it's usually fixable in a matter of moments, if not maybe an hour or so. But when you really exacerbate all of the discussions and everything else that goes on there, that human latency is the the real cost of the problem. And to Hmm. your point, if you give folks the tools they need and be able to have that automation and be able to deliver a data source that they can all agree on that is observed and not self-reported, that human latency goes down dramatically and now you can have problems solved in a matter of moments and not days. Yeah, so you shouldn't have to sit there and say, you know, if somebody's configured a firewall rule and nobody knows if it's working or not and so you have to get your packet sniffer out to see if packets are being received on the web server, it'd be much easier to give a tool to the help desk who could just go, you know, and click on something like a map system and say, are packets being received at this server? You know, did the firewall rule work or whatever? And if they can go, yes, I can see them, then they can automatically troubleshoot and escalate more effectively. Which I think brings us to a feature that we wanted to discuss today in ExtraHop 7.0, which is the live activity maps. Can we talk a bit about those? Yeah, absolutely. This, you know, to be quite frank, is one of my favorite features of of 7.0. This is where I really get to geek out a little bit and and, and have a lot of fun about it, right? So Let your nerd flag fly, my son. Yeah, let's let let the propeller (laughs) spin, right? Let the propeller spin. So, you know, when when you kind of look back, I I remember creating topology uh, diagrams based off of Visio, right? Very early versions of Visio and very static and and saying, you know, there's a one-to-one relationship where this switch is talking or or this uh, VLAN is segmented off and these uh, hosts are talking to this switch and this web server is associated with that SQL server, whatever it might be. Very, very classical kind of architectural kind of speak, right? And so you have these block diagrams and these network topology diagrams, which... uh, illustrate these one-to-one mappings. But as we all know, that's not actually how things are happening in real life, in real world, when these um, services are speaking to each other. When you have just even one laptop on the, on the uh, network today, that machine has multiple inbound connections, multiple outbound connections as we're speaking right now you know, over Skype. Obviously, we have a ton of different transactions that are happening there. So with live activity maps, what we've actually done is taken this old concept of network topology or block diagram type of maps and spun it on its head and said, well, there's really a shape to the enterprise. There's really this, it's a living, breathing organism. So why don't we represent that in terms of what it looks like? So when you have a server or a client that are communicating with each other, you can actually see the totality of the communication. So not only is 
is the behavior or the communication happening as expected between a web server and a, and a database server? Yes, it is. But wait a minute, why is this inbound SSH connection coming into this web server? That's not normal behavior. Now let's try to dig into that a little bit more and then understand what that uh, client was up to at the very beginning as well. So it's really interesting to be able to see the, the 3D shape of the enterprise in so many different ways. So it's, it's really exciting stuff from that point of view. So... This this mapping function really intrigues me because I actually think um, for all that many networking people believe in the power of the command line, and there is a sort of a surgical scalpel type, you know, the command line is a surgical thing, but sometimes you actually just want to get a dumpster out to excavate a hole, and a scalpel is not very helpful at that point. So I always regard GUI interfaces or graphical consoles or web interfaces as a way to get a lot of work done with minimal effort. That's assuming that they're well-designed and that the flow is done and the user experience is designed rightly. So I sort of look at this live activity maps and this mapping functionality that you brought in as, as a way of getting through stuff faster. Is that a fair statement? Like you'd go with that? The, the, the visualization part really comes into play when data density matters. Because a command line, you know, if you imagine like dumping an entire process table on a busy system or a route table on a busy router, that becomes uh, difficult to wrangle. And we're back to the sort of gravity slash friction discussion. And instead, a, a good visualization from a, U, a UI perspective is going to give you very, very high density data in one rendition. One, one rendering of that data is very, very dense. So for example, it's the, it's the actors on the network which protocols, which what's the directionality of those protocols? In fact, you know, can I get to the transactions themselves as they were replayed that generated that living, breathing activity map? And that, to us, is a very, very data-dense sort of high-value graphic, uh, which is what our live activity maps represent. Yeah, I guess that's the part. It sounds like that's what's making this different, because I've seen a lot of mapping solutions over the years. There's a lot of tools that play in this space at various levels. Some of them are fairly simplistic, uh, where there's some kind of live data underneath the map, but uh, you don't get that much out of it other than maybe a sense of traffic flow or that kind of thing. Other ones are a little more sophisticated, but they're focused on a specific thing like layer two adjacencies or layer three and you know how traffic flows through that map. This sounds more transactional. Is that fair? It, it is those things from a connectivity perspective, uh, but it is also transactional. So that is fair. Great. Or Ethan. Yeah, that's, that's a very fair assessment. And the reason why here is that, you know, what we've seen is that historically there's an SNMP poller that will go out and sort of actively pull systems and make assumptions as to what's running and then back into some concept of mapping. Or maybe it will grab the sort of, uh, it'll, it'll grab, the, you know, the net stat information and go mm -hmm. from there. But here we're going beyond port-based and sort of connectivity-based mapping into the mapping of the behaviors as well. Hmm. So we know, for example, if something is a VDI server or a database server or a SIFS server, and we know who the consumers of that service, that one discrete service on that system, who the consumers are. How many TCP turns have they made? How much data is being transferred? As well as which transactions were being initiated, all the way down to the individual file objects themselves. I really want to get into the question, uh, and this is a question I've asked a lot of vendors over the last year or two, is the transition to TLS 1.3, right? Where in, in TLS 1.3, you can't decode what's inside the packet because the encryption is blocking you completely. And really, all you're left with is a bunch of metadata about the HTTPS or the encrypted stream. How does that affect you? What are you doing to improve the, that response? 
Well, one of the things with 7.0 is the ability to support perfect forward secrecy in general, right? And, and, and you're exactly right. There's, a, there's an entire sort of methodology out there. It's been around for quite a long time. Uh, and, I'm, and I want to qualify, you know, I'm no deep expert on, on uh, PKI and encryption. I think that there's a, a very large sort of contingent of people that are out there that, that know this stuff inside and out. But what I can say yeah. is that... And they seem you know, to in specialize the, in making it hard to understand. That, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but basically in the, in the, in the post-Snowden era, yeah. Um, there, there are well-known schemes that are out there that make sort of retroactive decryption impossible, effectively. It's, it's practically impossible to do. And so that, with the idea of if you have a sniffing device that writes packets out to disk, even if you have the private key, you're not able to decrypt the conversation. And so that's why sort of PFS exists. And with 7.0, we actually have a solution for that. And again, it's something that, that an enterprise would, would, would sort of opt into and install on their side, and it does not require a man-in-the-middle type proxy-style device, which is what is typical from a deployment uh, perspective. Well, PFS is the idea that for every session there is new information used to generate the next key. So, right, if you end up with one key, you can't decrypt the rest of the sessions that you might capture. So, how? But you're saying you support the uh, you have the ability to decrypt sessions, uh, even if they've been encrypted, utilizing uh, PFS. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. So what? So that means. So th that means there's things that you must be told. You must be given a certain set of keys, et cetera, to make that happen. I mean, obviously, it's not. Uh, you didn't just invent the most powerful hacking tool ever. Uh, so no, can you give us right. a little more no, insight into how this is working. <laughs> yeah. So sure. And and so so basically, um, if you were to, if you install, we have a, a lightweight agent that runs on a host. So if you have a server, say, running IIS. And it's a web server running IIS, and you're doing encryption, and it's perfect forward secrecy. Some Diffie-Hellman elliptic curve, something like that. If, if we get the, the session key, we can then encrypt it, or decrypt it, rather, yep. seamlessly. And so that's, that's the basic. Without going too, too far into the implementation, there's a, we have a, a lightweight client-side agent that does really one thing, which is give us insight into what that negotiated session key looks like. And we can decrypt yeah. the conversation from and, there. And that makes sense. That's the magic. You've got to be on one side of that conversation and be able to Precisely see right. uh, what, what's right. going yeah. out the door. And that's what that agent's accomplishing. You got, got it. it. You got it. Now, does that agent apply to the whole operating system or is it unique to the browser? So, for example, today in your – mostly the traffic that we can capture is web browsing traffic and then the browser explicitly proxies to some – it sends a, an explicit traffic flow to a proxy server which then – uses a trusted key to decrypt it and then inspect is that you're not doing that you're no, what no browser we're operating side. yeah we're server side so think of us as south of the proxy that's right right and, and by the so, way you can there are deployment models out there where we, which we can easily accommodate if you did have sort of an egress proxy like a palo alto or something that would do that man in the middle stuff and send us decrypted traffic that works too that works fine we don't really discriminate if we get packets we analyze them uh South of the proxy tier, though, is where this comes in. We would be running on the servers themselves, on the OS. Okay, so if people want to know more about that, perhaps they can get in touch with you, because as you say, it gets fairly arcane fairly quickly. That's right. It might not be something we can easily explain here. But I think the, the, the keys here is you've got a tool for TLS 1.3 encrypted, which is becoming increasingly common, like Google is out there saying all web traffic, like I got a, an, a, an email from Google recently saying packet pushes has to be HTTPS encrypted by October, or we will actually throw warning 
alerts up saying your website's insecure go figure uh and, and but you've also got an ability to get around the extended features of tls which is to use pfs perfect forward secrecy which takes it even step further because once you've got pfs you actually can't use a private certificate or an interception you can't even man in the middle of it because pff breaks the man in the middle and that's a serious challenge and because you're not man in the middling you're still able to use that to get visibility even in that highly encrypted unbreakable non-man in the middleable situation you are able to get visibility into what's happening that's right. And, and the, the example I gave earlier was very deliberate, frankly, on the Microsoft side, because if I'm not mistaken, and the admins out there might uh, might riot if I get this wrong, but I think it was about a year or a year and a half ago that by default, Microsoft was using the, the Diffie-Hellman PFS schemes for their preferred encryption schemes by default. I forget which update it was, but and so this is something that's coming. It's sort of descending on the industry at large and to the extent that payload matters, and we believe that in many cases it does mm. uh, for security and performance and otherwise, uh, this, is, this is going to be one potential way to get around that problem. And if I could just jump in there and just kind of use an example here, too, it's it's from an operations perspective, right? So if you have the security team uh, saying, hey, we're, we're going all PFS, we, we got to be secure, we got to get everything PFS ready to go. Um, and then the ops team says, well, wait a minute, now I lose the visibility that I had, you know, with any tool that I had, you know, including extra hop, uh, what's going on there? Then suddenly you get this, this kind of tension that's going on there. Um, with the approach that we're taking, we allow these teams to have their cake and eat it, too, if you will. Um, um, they can still use PFS uh, from a security perspective, but then uh, ops as well as security still gets that visibility into the payload and L7 um, that they need as well. So it's a really great win-win in terms of how we're supporting this right now. And then, uh, you know, kind of looking at where the puck is moving overall in the market to, to prepare our, our product and our customer base as well. And I think the flip side of this too is that it's also about, as a security tool, you're also able to look at exfiltration. So in the event that there's a security event, we're all very focused around breaches at the moment and data theft or ransomware attacks. This sort of visibility into the encrypted streams as ransomware switches over to encrypted streams is very key to that sort of um, response to security threats. No, exactly right. I mean, that, that's a great point. When we start talking about data exfil, um, you know, it's it's a, it's kind of interesting. Let, let's kind of, if we could pivot on that for a second and mm. talk about that, and then we'll talk about encryption. But, you know, it, it goes back to the whole point of, you know, it's not if you get breached, but when. Um, obviously, these data breaches are all in the news. And, and for me personally, it's it kind of one of these things where, okay, if somebody's in, great. But more importantly, what are they getting out that's more important, right? And and where is it going to? And so when you start to look at some of these these schemes that, that these guys are doing um, to try to, to hide it, whether they're going low and slow or they're doing some encryption pieces there, um, you know, really... It's, it's interesting to be able to have that level of encryption or, excuse me, decryption uh, when you're trying to understand where, where things are going. So, so you hit it right on the head. For me, it's always been about what is getting out of the environment and being able to see that, whether it's encrypted or not, is very important. Yeah, and if there's suddenly an encrypted stream that wasn't, that isn't allowed, you should block it. Absolutely that's, right. And, that, and that's kind of the point here is once you detect a stream encrypted, that doesn't match a certificate, you know, because you're looking at metadata, you want to be able to say, if if you see an encrypted stream that doesn't match a known certificate to you, you should probably shut that down because that's data ex likely to be data exfiltration or it could be, you know, an unpermitted or not whitelisted thing. And that's the sort of thing that you're looking for in the new era, this transition. 
How does 7.0 tie to Addy? We talked a bit in the early in the show about Addy and the machine learning that is happening in the cloud. Is that part of the 7.0 release? Is that an extra service I I can get at if I'm a 7.0 customer? Yes. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of pieces to that. So so number one, Addy is a separate service that, that you subscribe to. Is um, you know as Matt had mentioned earlier, it's the you know cost of uh, of almost an intern, if you will, um, you know per year. So it's it's built on a on a yearly basis. But there, it's since it is a quote unquote SaaS service, we're able to update that um, quickly, just like any other SaaS service as well. But seven um, O is a major launch vehicle for us in terms of some of the product capabilities, and we're adding in some of the uh, uh, some of the capabilities with Addy and rolling it out at the same time. So there is a dependency on uh, the firmware from a 6.2 perspective. So in order to be able to take advantage of Addy, you got to be on our version 6.2 and above. Um, but for 7.0, it's just a launch vehicle that we're, we're pushing it out with. So we have, you know, just uh, a, an efficient way to get the news out, to be quite frank. Um, but there's some really interesting stuff we're doing in, in Addy for security, um, specifically when you start to talk about the attack lifecycle. We were just talking about data exfiltration. Um, but then what about you know the initial compromise that might be happening or, or the characteristics of what, what that might look like? So we're actually adding in those um, capabilities into Addy for 7.0. So you can see an anomaly that might look like an initial compromise, and we'll flag those as saying, hey, this could be an initial compromise type of situation. Now they can go into live activity maps and then understand to say, hey, well, what is this uh, particular client been up to? What are they looking at? Who are they interacting with? And what kind of suspicious behavior can I see off the live activity map as well? And we can go all the way through remote access, lateral movement, which is really important. Obviously, once they get in, what are they doing as uh, within that east-west corridor uh, of the environment? as well as even data gathering and, and, and staging, and then lastly, exfiltration. So we're really looking at the anomalies across that entire spectrum. And then we can deliver some patterns behind that or flag it to say this could be exfiltration. You know, we're not saying it definitively, but we're certainly flagging it at that as in terms of an importance level. Now, you mentioned a, a human being going into the interface and clicking around to try to find this, but a lot of people aren't going to do that every day unless they have a good reason. So... I am assuming there's a reporting engine or something where I can get some summary of data, uh, you know, what's happened over the last 24 hours, something like that. Oh, yes, absolutely. So I was just using that as kind of an example of the workflow. But certainly we don't, you know, want people to click around on every single anomaly. So, you know, we have reports that, that are obviously emailed out just like standard, uh, any other standard type of an alerting engine. But we also have it built in where we have our metrics and alerts that surface up within the UI as well. So there's a couple of different ways you can get this information and look at the anomalies over the last 24 hours and understand what's going on. Um, we have one customer, actually, it's pretty funny. They use Addy. Uh, they call it their... Uh, coffee uh, making decision matrix. So they use Addy in their in their every morning for their routine. They come in and say, "I'm going to check Addy to see if I can go make coffee and then come back to my desk and enjoy it." Or Addy tells me that there's an anomaly. I cannot get coffee nor enjoy my morning, and I have to get to work. <laughs> so it's uh, pretty interesting in terms of how they're using it from that perspective. <laughs> so you welcome our new Addy robot uh, robot overlord. <laughs> overlord, that's right. There are there are friends, not our enemies, right? Um, you know, on the on the on the scheduled reporting guys, really quickly, it, it's worth noting calling out something in particular. A guy that's on my team now is a former customer. Uh, he said to me, I'll never forget this conversation, he's a really smart guy, and when, he's, when he speaks, I listen, almost regardless of the subject, and he said, you, the vendors need to understand something, 
is that we're tired of UIs. We're tired of login prompts. We're tired of having all of these. And I think Jesse said it when he spoke to you guys last about swivel chair integration, right? Mm. He said, I need stuff to come to me proactively into my inbox. That's my sort of interface to start my day. And so part of 7.0 with the Addy and all these sort of these sort of higher order things is very practical, very functional, work-a-day, scheduled reports. So now the insights come to you and anything that you can dashboard in our system, and our dashboarding engine is very, very strong. I would argue it's uh, among the very best in the industry, actually. That mm-hmm. Anything that you can dashboard for a bespoke application, a critical business service, a set of KPIs, network links, WAN branch offices, you can then schedule to be delivered proactively to you hourly, daily, whatever, via Chrome-like semantics in a UI, and it just works. So, and again, this is this idea of that extra hop has been facing. It's like, you know, we're, we're privy to, you know, a single device on the system uh, in, a, in an environment, rather, can process 432 terabytes of raw packets per day. That's just one device, and we have many customers that are scaling them horizontally. And so you're talking about petabytes of raw data that's being analyzed. And so how now do you give people access to those insights with minimal or near zero friction? And scheduled reporting is one of the ways to do that. It is. And um, I, I hope it works because over the years I've worked with so many different systems doing scheduled reporting and in the end just found it a, a mailbox full of undeleted reports hmm. yeah. and that I never read. And But I'm hopeful that machine learning gives us some difference. Like the scheduled reports used to be, this is how many syslog entries you received last night and I'm supposed to read that and decode whether that's meaningful or not or something like that. And I think, yes, you're right, push data is better than pull data, but it also means that the push data has to be viable before it just doesn't get used. It has to be very useful. And that's the challenge. um, No, you hit something very important there about you determining what was important or not, right? And and that's really where the power of machine learning is really going to help us as you know a species, if you will, um, start start to understand and and, and, uh, look at things that are critically important to act on versus the noise that comes in and helping us decipher what is important. So when you think about Addy, or let, actually, let's take a step back and let's think about alerting for a second, right? So, so back in the day, well, even now, I should say, if you want an alert, you have to understand what you want to alert on, number one. So A, I want to alert on this uh, particular node um, and whatever it might do. Um, and then I want to understand the metric that I want to alert on. So, okay, I want to do, um, you know, HTTP traffic. Let's just take that as an example. And then if it, then you have to define a threshold, right? And say, well, the threshold is X and therefore alert me after that. Now, you have to do that times N number of devices in your environment, right? That can be exhausting just from just from a threshold setting perspective. Now, what we're doing with machine learning and the Addy side is we're re- really redefining what all of that looks like, right? So we're basically saying you don't have to worry about instrumenting these guys. You don't have to worry about finding the, the components that you want to alert on and then defining those thresholds. As I mentioned earlier, we're helping folks um, get answers to questions they didn't even know to ask. So therefore, we're able to actually 
look at all of the pa- the patterns of behavior and then surface that up to you and filter it up and say, hey, this is different. This is not just something that hit a threshold marker over and over and over and over again and it just floods your inbox. We're actually telling you this is something that's different. It's important. It's something you might want to look at in context. Specifically, this could be an ex- exfiltration event. So now you're really getting more quality uh, data being pushed at you versus just an inbox full of uh, of alert counters that that exceeded a threshold. Yeah, we're still talking about a human having to act, though. I mean, is there, and I, I guess a lot of companies are, they really don't want to hand over response or some kind of a mitigation over to the system in an automated way. They want some human to look at it for risk of impacting the business negatively if they do something they shouldn't have done. Um, but I mean, is there a place to, to have an automatic response to certain uh, anomalies that are detected? Oh, that, that's a great question. I'll set that up and then I'll pass it over to, to Max. I can pick already, me, pick me. Yeah, I can already hear him <laughs> salivating uh, with this over the phone here. Um, but yes, there's a way we can do that. So essentially what we have is we have this very powerful API called uh, Open Data Stream. And I think you, you discussed this with Jesse in the last podcast as well. But really, o- ODS um, helps us pipe out these um, or any of our data with an extra to third-party targets, whether it be you know specific type of data databases like Mongo or, or anything else, or uh, specific workflow or ticketing, um, uh, uh, incident ticketing management systems like ServiceNow. So now what we can actually do is see these anomalies and then kick those off automatically and then pipe them into, say, a ServiceNow or even some of the stuff we're doing with, with Cisco Tetration from a, a ransomware detection and remediation perspective. Um, so, so yes, we can do that. Now, I'll pass it over to Matt to, to provide more color on that. Yeah, no, and I and I'll before I say what I'm about to say, I know. Uh, well, and I think I know how you all feel about APIs. That just big general blanket term. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to try to anchor it with some relevant use cases here. Uh, from a just reeling back, 2016 was the year of machine learning for IT operations. Right, we started talking to our our handheld TV remotes. We started talking to Siri in a, in a new kind of way, Alexa and beyond. And it started to make its way, as you would expect, from the consumer world over and the Google world into IT operations. So 2016 really kind of was the year where machine learning landed on, on, on IT ops. Now, 2017, what we see, at least in our customers, is that there's a heavy, heavy emphasis on integrations with third-party ecosystem players, other systems and solutions bespoke or vendor provided that are waiting for inputs. And from those inputs, they can take actions, which leads us to 2018, which I really believe, uh, and this was an insight from one of our uh, coworkers here at ExtraHop, and I think that he was right, Steve Smith, uh, that 2018 is going to be the year of automation. And where it starts is small because it needs to, and where it ends is who knows where, frankly, because there's a very large swath of, of technical or operational problems, app delivery problems, I'll say, that are quite binary. You know, are you exceeding, you know, is this SSL cipher strength acceptable to your policy, yes or no? If the answer is no, you might want to take an automated action. Does this host have ransomware, yes or no? If the answer is yes, take them off the network before, you know, to contain them. And so there's a, and typically, the, the, deliberately, I gave you security-specific examples because I think that certainly not all of the problems in security, but many of the problems in the security space have this sort of binary answer. It's like, nope, this is not allowed. This is a blatant violation of FUBAR or BAS. Off they go. 
And because of some of these systems like ServiceNow or Cisco Tetration, in Tetration's case, they're so close to the infrastructure itself, like they have an agent that's running in an OS, say, or their switch fabric can respond to events, we can emit an intelligent analytics event into these ecosystem partners and they can take an action. It's a very, very interesting frontier. And we're seeing early evidence of it in the field today, as a matter of fact. So, one of the themes here that I've kind of noticed in this is the data that is being pulled off the network isn't useful just to network engineers. Again, we were talking about this earlier in the show, but it's really useful to a lot of different groups. So the network and the data that's on it, it, it just strikes me, it's it's interesting, not just for network reasons and network nerds checking latencies and inner packet gaps and all of those things that we like to check, but also because of the being able to mine the application data that's there for deeper insights into what's actually going on in the business. That's kind of where all the action is. And so that's interesting, but it also is interesting because it reflects what's going on within IT groups as a whole. We're seeing the operations, rather than it being so heavily siloed, everybody is coming together now, and there's a lot more conversations happening cross-silo, or maybe people's job descriptions are changing where their job descriptions are cross-silo. so first of all, I guess, you know, am I crazy, uh, Isaac, or is that actually right? Is that an obvious insight that I'm grabbing here? No, you're spot on. I mean, uh, you know, as, as we were talking about throughout this conversation, you know, back in the day, and you mentioned it yourself where, you know, back in the day you had to set up a server, crimp some cable, you know, even if it was BNC and you had to solder some cable, maybe if you, <laughs> if you can remember back that long, right? Yep. Um, certainly have the scars on my fingertips from that. Um, but, you know, really we, we had to be jacks of all trades back then. And then we kind of had this silo, but now in the services world, um, everything is transacting on the network. And I think folks are starting to realize that the common watering hole is the network. If you really want to understand what's happening in context, you have to go back to the network. Um, so really when, you know, you start to think about the, the common watering hole and, and coming on the network. Uh, so it goes back to the old adage that, you know, if you have physical access uh, on a machine from a security perspective, it's game over, right? Well, in lieu of that, the network is the next way to reach in. So all the good guys are acting on the network and all the bad guys are too. So by from a security perspective, really looking at the network as the common denominator, the source of insight. From an operations perspective, IT operations, all applications are being facilitated on the network, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a specific web application, database calls, stored procedures and methods from a database are being uh, transacted back and forth on, on the wire. And, and then also from a network perspective, right? Are the flows... Uh, happening the way they should be? Is there latency? Is this uh, is this land link saturated or not? So everyone's starting to realize that there's this one common denominator from a network perspective um, that we can actually start to pull out. And from an extra perspective, you know, we really have two major um, challenges that we're trying to solve in the market. One is more of a mental one, to be quite frank, and uh, that's to rethink the network as a data source, not as the plumbing, right? And I'll be frank, from my own personal perspective, when I first learned about extra hop and what they were doing here before I was an employee, I thought, oh, that's just another packet capture solution, right? That's just another DPI solution. Until I realized that the full stream reassembly, what was happening on there, I'm like, wow, you're, you're telling me I can see database stored procedures being passed back and forth on here? This is amazing. So 
rethinking the network as a data source, not as transport, is number one from a, from a kind of a market awareness perspective. From a technical perspective, the second thing we have to do is put that data in context as quickly as possible. Because everything is transacting on the network, now we have to be able to put it in, in a context of, say, an IT architect or a network engineer or a security professional. So we're really focused on that from a, a go-to-market perspective and even how we're structuring our business as well. And I think the interesting part about this is, and the one thing we haven't talked about is this strategy that you're putting together with Addy also works in the cloud. Now, I know you haven't, you know, we touched on the cloud in the previous show, but you can also use um, packet capture in your cloud instances to export data to Addy so you can actually unify this in multiple places. Now, that's not the purpose of today's show, but I did want to talk about this. Today, we are building enterprise network visibility strategies that actually straddle not just the private data center, but the public cloud as well, because everybody's going to the public cloud at some at some level, not all of them. Absolutely. And there are answers in the extra hot portfolio for that. You're absolutely right. In mm. fact, just to put my marketing hat on for a second, um, you know, we have this great term here where, you know, whether it's bricks to clicks to cloud, we've got you covered, right? And I know that yeah. sounds a little. <laughs> hang on, a hang little... on. Let me just let me just decode that for everybody. <laughs> There's the marketing dig I've been waiting. There, there you I go. Well, on that note, I think we've probably got to wrap this up. We are running a little bit long. If you're in the audience and you're listening to this and we talked a lot about graphical consoles, if you want to see a demo, we're going to attach a GIF uh, in the blog post that goes with this and we'll have some more information and relevant context there. So if you want to find out more about what ExtraHop 7 looks like and some of the real-time and empirical data that you want to see, you can hit the GIF and then, of course, you can go and um, knock on ExtraHop store and say, pay me some attention. And I think they'd be more, more than pleased to come on out and show you more about their product. Well, on that note, thanks very much for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. Thanks very much to our guests, Isaac Roybal, Director of Product Marketing, and also to Matt Corton, who's the VP of Security at ExtraHop. You can find them on their relevant social media. There'll be links of that in the show notes, and they have LinkedIn and all that sort of good stuff. Don't forget to go over to extrahop.com, and if you do contact them as a result of listening to the show, please tell them that you heard it on Packet Pushes because that's a big help to everybody, them as well as us. You can find Packet Pushes on Twitter, uh, find us on LinkedIn. We're also on the Facebook and you can rate us on iTunes. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.